and uh, we are in Second Peter chapter 2, the second half of the book, of the chapter, and uh, what I realized when I was studying chapter 1 and then, I mean, the beginning of chapter 2 and beginning to look at the second half of chap- chap- chapter 2, um, that, man, I'm having a hard time with words, you'll have to just be with me today, um, is that chapter 2 is heavy. Uh, it is a really uh, heavy um, that what Peter has to say to us is really kind of heavy, and it lays heavy on your heart. And if you were here last week, we were talking about the warning that Peter was giving, and he was warning us about beware of those who are among you or who come into the body who would teach false truth. They would find things that, a little piece of truth, and they would twist it to say what they want, their way, their, uh, for their own benefit. And so last week we were talking about that, just beware, there are those who come into the church and that their heart and their passion and their desire within the church is not pure. And they're not interested in staying true to the word of God. And then we finished last week by saying this and reminding ourselves, look, we don't just need to be aware, we also need to know the truth. You've got to be in the Word of God for yourself. You've got to be studying the Word of God. You've got to be looking into the Word of God so that you know what truth is. And then if someone comes along and begins teaching something that is not true, uh, you're aware of that and you know that. And this week, what I want to do is we're going to finish up this chapter two, but I want to talk to you about the way of false teachers. False teachers, we talked last week about the fact that there's a test that can help us know. And if anyone comes to you and says, look, Jesus Christ is not God and he is not the way for our relationship to be made right with the Father, with with God himself, then we know that that person is not teaching truth because that was God's point to us. He said, look, the only way to come to me, the only way to God is through the Son, His Son, Jesus Christ. It's through His finished work on the cross. It's what He did. He paid a price that you and I could not pay. The penalty for sin is death. The cost is high. It's great. It requires life. It requires our life. The consequence of sin is separation from God. And our relationship with God is broken when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Scripture is very clear in Romans says, For as by one man sin entered into the world, then death passed upon all men, for all have sinned at that point. And we were separated from God. And God knew that the only way we could be restored and renewed and made new with him and have new life in him was if someone who was perfect would pay the price for our sin. And so he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to do that on our behalf. And Jesus went to the cross and he defeated sin and the grave. He defeated death. Scripture says that he completely defeated all that would separate us from God. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you and I. In other words, he's he's the one who stands before the Father. And when we accept what he's done for us on the cross, what Jesus Christ has done... Then Jesus stands before the Father and he says, look, that person, Tim, that's me. Because I've accepted what Christ did, that person is pure and complete before you because of what I did for him. The price has been paid. Wow. And chapter 1 of 2 Peter told us our position before God as Christ followers, that we get, we're citizens, we belong. We belong at the table, we're part of the family. 
And then 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter begins to warn us, look out, because there's those who want to ruin that relationship for you. They want to sidetrack, they want to they get you away from the relationship that you have with God, and they want to pull you away, and they want you to think about other things and be distracted from that relationship. Beware, look out. And then we jump into verse 12. So we're going to jump right in because time is, going to, is limited this morning. We're going to celebrate communion this morning. And uh, we don't want that pushed at the end. So jump right in with me if you have your Bible. 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. But these people, those false teachers, okay? Remember, that's who we were talking about last week. But these people, like irrational animals, interesting the words Peter uses here, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed. Wow! Slander what they do not understand, and in their destruction, they too will be destroyed. Peter jumps right in. He's not light on these people. He uses really hard language. If you looked at the NLT, it says it this way. Unthinking animals, creatures of instinct, who should be destroyed. That's pretty heavy language. Remember last week we talked about at the beginning of this chapter, chapter 2, he said, he used these words, he said, these are people who are among you, right? You remember that last week? I had you repeat it so that you wouldn't forget. Did you forget already? Where are these people? They are among, they're, they're, they, they come in to be part of the fellowship of believers. On the outside, everything looks like they're in and they know and they want to be part and, and, and they love God and, and, and they have a great, it looks like their heart is right with God. And, and then Peter partway through says, no, these, these are, these people are, they're animals, who just follow their instinct. Immediately when I read that, that passage and I was reading those words, this is the thought, and you just have to bear with me because my brain goes funny places, but, but this is the thought that came to my kids had chickens for quite a while, and a few years ago, probably three or four, time goes fast, but it was a while ago, Justin was like this tall, so it was quite a while ago, although he sprouted fast. But anyway, they had chickens, and they were doing school one day, and the chickens were out on the back lawn. There was a whole pile of them out on the back lawn. And a fox came out. And if the fox was just hungry, he would have come out and he would have taken one fox and off he went. One, sorry, one chicken. Thank you, babe, for helping me with that. Keep the story straight. The fox would have come out and taken one chicken if he was hungry, right? But he didn't. There was a whole pile of chickens out on the lawn. And this fox came out, and he killed one, and he ran over and grabbed another and killed it, and another and killed it, and another and killed it, and another and killed it. I think he got 12. Isn't that right? About 12. His instinct was a killer instinct. It wasn't for food. It was for the pleasure of killing. That's all. And he ran in, and he saw an opportunity, some innocent little chickens who were just eating. You know how they are. They're just walking around. <laughs> They're not paying attention. They're just being chickens. And he's like, I got them. That's the picture that he's painting. That's the picture that Peter is painting here for these people. They come in among the body of Jesus Christ and they know the right words to say. And they have a little bit of the truth. And they paint a picture of being 
so nice and so kind. And innocent believers who are just trying to follow God and they're walking around and they're following God and these these brutes is what Peter says. Peter says these, these, these brutes, these animals come in and their instinct is not to love God and it's not to build the body up. Their instinct is to figure out a way to get in close enough for the kill. To pull people away from the truth. And it's not one kill that they want. It's multiple. And Peter uses strong language because he says, look, this has devastating effects. The same way that that fox devastated a flock of chickens that they were using to to have eggs to sell. It's what happens. They come in and they're not just after one little chicken. They want the flock. They want to pull the whole flock. And if you read what Peter says at the end of this passage, he doesn't just say, look, these are brutes. He goes on and he says in, in, in the culture that he's living, these next two words that he uses at the end of the passage are, are very strong because he says this, they are also pigs and dogs. And in the culture he's li- living in, pigs were, were something that for the, for the Jew, you didn't have anything to do with pigs. They're unclean. You don't want them anywhere near you. You don't want them any around you. They're unclean. And unlike the culture we live in where dogs are worshipped, sorry, but it's true, they're worshipped today in the culture Peter grew up in. They were scavengers who ran around the streets and just kept it clean. They weren't worshipped like they are today. And Peter ends this chapter 2 by saying, look, these brutes that are coming in, these ones that are pulling you, want to pull you away from the truth, they're pigs, they're unclean. And they're dogs, they're scavengers, they're looking for the little scraps that they can pick up and pull away from the body. It's harsh. It's harsh. Jesus said it this way in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6. He said, don't waste what is holy on people who are unholy. Don't throw your pearls to pigs. They will trample the pearls and then turn and attack you. Those who are unholy won't take the holiness of who God is and what God provides for us and won't revere it and and worship God. They're looking out for themselves and they'll take what is really good and they'll put it down and they'll trample all over it. And it happens within the church. Verse 13, he keeps going and he says this, they will be paid back with harm for the harm that they have done. And they considered a pleasure to carouse in broad daylight. They are spots and blemishes, delighting in their deceptions while they feast with you. The picture is someone who sneaks in close beside you as your friend, all the while with a dagger in the other hand waiting to get you. That's the picture. Oh, I like you. Oh, I'm your friend. Oh, I want to spend time with you. Oh, I want what's best best with you for you. And all the while pulling you away. Just wait till I get you. That's the picture. These are people. Hey, it's happening today. That's the desire of people's hearts. It happens. People who come beside you and you think they have your best interest in mind when in reality, they just want you. They just want you. 
these two verses are worded in such a way that they paint the picture that these people are living their life sensually. They're living their life in softness and luxury. They say things so that they can live extravagant at, at the cost of their friends. They're figuring out ways to draw you in so that they can use you and what you have for their good and for their gain. That's the picture that Peter is painting. And folks, it happens all the time in churches where someone comes in to be the leader of the church and what you find is that they pull from the church as much as they can get out of it for their own gain. And Peter says, that's not a servant. Jesus said, as you saw in the video, I came to, to seek and to save, to serve those who are, I'm here for you, for your good, not for what I can get. Think about Jesus coming from heaven. What could he get from us? <laughs> what could he get from you and I? Yeah, he just wanted a relationship with us. That was it. He wanted to restore a relationship. That was it. He's not gaining anything. But so many who are false teachers and false leaders, they're looking for what they can get and what they can gain. Look at verse 14. He keeps going. They have eyes full of adultery that never stop looking for sin. They seduce unstable people and have hearts trained in greed, children under a curse. They seduce others for their own good and their own gaze. Verses 15 and 16. They have gone astray. By abandoning the straight path and have followed the path of Balaam, who loved the wages of wickedness, but received a rebuke for his lawlessness. A speechless donkey spoke with a human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. The example he used, remember last week we talked, he used the, the example of Noah, the righteous, and Lot, right? Living in the sin and that God had to judge. You remember that? And this week, Peter says this, well, in the chapter, it wasn't this week, it wasn't two weeks apart when he wrote it, okay? But we're on it this week. This week, he uses the example of Balaam. Now, you may not remember the story of Balaam, but if you were to go back to Numbers chapter 23 through, through 25, you would find a story about Balaam. He was a prophet. He was a Gentile prophet, actually. And the, the story of Balaam is this. Balaam, for a couple of times, actually spoke for God. But Balaam's problem was, is that he wanted power and he wanted recognition and he wanted money. And so some kings came against the nation of Israel and Balaam saw an opportunity and he saddled up next to those kings and he got close to them and he began to prophesy against the nation of Israel because these other kings would pay him well. And so Peter looks at this and he says, these people are like Balaam. And their whole idea is they want riches and fame. They want to be noticed and recognized. They want people to see them. And the end of Balaam's life, if you look it up, you look at Numbers chapter 31, it's an interesting story. Go back to Numbers chapter 22 and just read through it. You know what, what happened? Well, Balaam, God, <laughs> caused Balaam's donkey <laughs> to see the angel of God. And to speak, I, I would think that the guy would be freaked out a little bit, but he's riding along on his donkey and it won't go the direction he wants. And the donkey stops and talks to him. Would you listen? I may go home. But Balaam struggles with that. And he doesn't follow God and 
chapter 31 of Numbers, God has his life taken by the sword because he refuses to follow God and he's supposed to be a prophet of God. That's the severity of what Peter is talking about here. Peter's like, this isn't a laughing matter. Let me give you an example. When people come into the church and they begin to, to, to spread false teaching and they begin to take the truth of the word of God and they begin to twist it for their own good and their own desires and they begin to use it as Balaam did to gain money and riches and fame for themselves, God says, I'm not going to be mocked. I won't put up with it. I will do something about it. And he uses the example of Balaam and he said, I dealt with it and I will again. Verses 17 to 19, I want you to catch this because I don't want to, don't want to miss this. These people are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. The gloom of darkness has been reserved for them for by uttering boastful empty words, they seduce with fleshly desires and debauchery. People who have barely escaped from those who live in error, they promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption since people are enslaved by whatever defeat them. Three things I want you to catch from these couple of verses. First, in the first phrase, it says this. These people are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. When I was reading that phrase, I thought of this as a kid. I grew up on a dairy farm and I was a wanderer from very young. And so we had all farms all around us, miles and miles and miles of fields. And, and we lived on a St. John River, a big river valley. And Mike's brother, Doug, actually, and I wandered all over the place. We would just get up in the morning sometimes and disappear and come back at dark. And we would just wander fields and go all over the place. All over that, those fields and all over those farms, all those different farms, there were springs everywhere. And we found a whole pile of those springs, water, nice clean water bubbling up out of, the, out of the ground. And we would hike and we would build things. We built log cabins and we built, all, we built all kinds of stuff out in the middle of nowhere in the woods. And we would hike and we would work and then we would we'd take a canteen or whatever it was we have and we'd go to one of those springs. We'd hike to one of those springs and we'd get down and we'd fill that up with that cold. I don't know if you've ever taken water from a spring right out of the ground. It's cold and it's crystal clear and it's sweet. I know you don't think water can be sweet, but it's sweet, especially when you're really thirsty. And then on the back hills of, of way out behind where I grew up, we would, we would hike sometimes. We would snowshoe in the winter, and we, we would go for a half a day one direction, and we'd go to one of these springs and be in the middle of the winter. And you know what? When you got to that spring in the middle of the winter, it's not frozen. It's not. The water's bubbling up, and there's ice crystals all around it, and you'd reach down, and you'd grab some of that sweet water after all-day hike. It's so Peter's picture is this. It's a spring, and when you get there, there's no water. I watch on YouTube a, a farm. Pam laughs at me. The farm's still in me. But I, 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 on a fairly regular basis, these guys raise beef cattles, cattle, and I, in the evening, I watch what they did during the day. And I like to watch them work in the fields and whatever. And they're in South Dakota, and this summer in South Dakota, I, I went through this. We had a difficult summer 
in South Dakota, they had a drought. And their crops struggled. And Cole, the young guy, the young, young son that's part of this farm, he would be farming and be in his tractor and look out and there would be a cloud off in the distance, a dark cloud off in the distance. It's like, oh, we're going to get some rain. And as the day would progress, you'd see the cloud go and it would go by. And guess what? No rain. Peter's picture here is these two things. It's, it's hiking all day and being hot and ready for a drink and ready to be refreshed. And you get to where you know there's a spring and you get down at the spring to get the water and there's no water. Or you're a farmer and you've been waiting for your, for your crops to get what they, the, the, the water, the liquid gold that's going to make those crops grow. And the clouds come and you see them blowing in and they go over and nothing. You been there? Where your expectation for something was great and you anticipated what it was going to be and when it finally went to happen, nothing. That's what these false teachers do. These false teachers paint hopes and give you a, give you a hope and an expectation that something amazing is going to happen in your life and then there's and Peter says, that's their heart. Their heart is simply to extract from you what they can get. That's their desire. And they seduce you and they draw you in and they make promises. In the end of these verses, he says this, they promise freedom, but they themselves are slaves. And they're enslaved to the very things that defeat them. They offer you freedom and they say, here, if you follow me, all of this will be yours. You remember Satan doing that to Jesus? He took him up into a high mountain and he said, Jesus, if you'll do these things, if you, all of this will be yours. It was already his. It was already his. He's God. He's king of kings. Believer this morning, people can offer you all kinds of things. It's already yours. <laughs> Remember chapter one, all the precious promises of God are yours. They're found in the person of Jesus Christ. And the promise of the Holy Spirit is to give you everything that you need. No one else has anything that you need. God has already given it to you. These are empty promises. And these people are bound by the things that, that they've allowed to control them and enslave them. And that's what they want for you. That's what they want for me. Jude says this, that those people are apostate. In other words, they have a little bit of the truth, but they use the truth to lead you away. If you come to Jesus, Jesus says it this way, Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will do what? Set you free. Jesus doesn't add anything else to it. He says this, sanctify them by the truth. Your what? Your word is truth. Your word is not not the words of somebody else, not the desires of your word, God's word, is truth. Jesus' heart for you and for me is to free us, not to put us in bondage, not to ask us of something we can't give. 
His desire is to give us something we can't get on our own. Let's finish this up. Verses 20 and 22 say it this way. For if having escaped the world's impurity through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in these things and defeated, the last state is worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it, to turn back from the holy command delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, a dog returns to its own vomit and a washed sow or a pig returns to wallow in the mud. They knew of the truth. They had knowledge of the truth. This is a warning once again. I want you to get this. They had parts and pieces of the truth. They knew what the truth was. But the truth hadn't set them free. They hadn't given themselves to the person of Jesus Christ. And because of it, they're worse than when they started. They're in a worse position than when they started. Warren Wiersbe says it this way. It is a diff- there's a difference between reforming and rebirth. Re- reforming means to clean up on the outside. Rebirth means regeneration or being renewed and cleansed on the inside. And these folks are reformed people. Not, not talking about your theology. I'm talking about they've reformed and on the outside they've cleaned the glass or the dish up and they look really good on the outside. But internally, their heart's a long way from God. And God wants rebirth. God wants us to be reborn. So I want to finish this morning by asking you a couple of questions. Have you been reformed or reborn? See, you could be here at church this morning and you could say, yeah, I know about Jesus. And look at my life. I'm living, I'm at church. (laughs) I even put money in the offering plate when it went by. Woo! That's not rebirth. He ends this And he says this, someone who's reformed are like a dog who goes to their vomit. When a dog pukes, he goes back and he eats it. Dog owners, you know this. They eat gross things and then you let them lick your face. I can't believe it. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. I get sidetracked easily. A dog returns to its vomit. Someone who's been reformed doesn't last because it's not from the inside. They go back to where they started. You can take a pig. I grew up. We had pigs. You can scrub them. You can clean them. You can put a hat on them. You can put lipstick. You can dress them up. People do. It's crazy. They're still pigs. And if you let that pig that you dressed up and put a dress on, I've seen it. But it's on you. Go look on YouTube. It's amazing what people do to these animals. I pity the animal. You can dress that pig up and you can get it so clean, but let that pig go out after it rains and see what it does. I know what that pig's going to do. Yeah, I chased a lot of dirty pigs. The same is true for us folks. If we reform, if we do our little reformation where we say, I'm changing how I live, I'm going to do all this stuff, but we're not reborn by the Spirit of God. 
We don't yield and submit our life to the person of Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross for us. And we don't ask the spirit of God to indwell and renew. Then we're just reformed and we're going to turn back to the garbage that we came out of. You're here this morning. Are you reformed? Are you reborn? You can be reborn and you need to be. Jesus says, all who come, all who are willing to yield, all who are willing to admit that they're a sinner in need of a Savior can be reborn. This morning, we're going to celebrate communion. And communion really, folks, is this. It's a joyous occasion of celebrating the fact that we've been reborn. (laughs) I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. I've been washed clean. I've been made new. I'm not reformed. I'm reborn. I'm a child of God, a child of the King. In 1 Corinthians, Paul said it this way, For I have received from the Lord what I also pass on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and he said, this cup is a new covenant of my blood and do this as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. And what Jesus is saying, what Paul is saying about Jesus here is this. He said, look, communion is a reminder of our rebirth. That's what he's saying. He's reminding us of what the truth can do in our lives, how the truth can change us and make us like Jesus Christ. And it's a celebration that I was dead in my sins without hope, and because of the finished work of Jesus Christ, I've been made alive and made new. I'm a new creation and a new creature in Jesus Christ. And so this morning as the band sings, We're going to participate in communion in your cup holder there beside you. There's a little cup and there's a wafer on top of that. And we're going to celebrate communion together as the band sings. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, this is for you. If you're not or you're unsure, you don't need to celebrate communion. Nobody's going to think anything different. But it's a celebration for those who are in Christ. This is what Christ did for me. And so I'd ask you as we sing and as we worship together, if you would celebrate with us the finished work of Christ on the cross. Father, thank you for the reminder this morning to beware. There are those who would draw us away from you. There are those who their instinct in their heart is for themselves and for their gain and their greed. Thank you that you've made a way for us to be aware of that through the truth of the word of God and that you offer freedom and hope to us through your Holy Spirit. And God, now in the next few moments, as we celebrate what you've done for us, as you celebrate new life in Jesus Christ, remind us of our position in you. Renew our hearts. Help us to look to you, to be reminded that we're a child of God, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. The precious promises of God are ours. Thank you for all that you've done. Encourage us as we celebrate communion together this morning. In your name we pray.